Uh, welcome to this week's episode of Dot to Dot. Today, uh, I've got uh, Steph Dijum Vincenzo joining us uh, from Facebook, um, and we're going to have a bit of a talk about engagement and uh, different strategies for effective communication today. So, uh, welcome, Steph. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's just such a delight to be working with you guys again. Uh, we couldn't be happier to have you here. Now, to kick us off, can you tell me a little bit about your role with Facebook? Sure. So um, it's kind of an odd title. My title is Creative Strategist. Um, it's a title that doesn't really exist anywhere else outside the tech world, I think. Like I've heard of Creative Strategists working at, you know, other big tech companies, uh, but never in ad agencies, which, are, which is where I've sort of come from. So my background is really in uh, coming up with ideas for brands to promote their goods and services to customers. So it's an advertising background. But now I take that thinking and I apply it through the technologies that Facebook offers. So really it's about exploring the potential of our technologies to help brands connect more meaningfully with their customers. We um, uh, are really interested to talk to you today for that kind of engagement. Like it feels like your role, you know, there's a, here's the information, you know, here's the behavior, you know, that we're after. Um, For teachers, engagement is always kind of front in mind. You know, sometimes it's tough to teach particular subject matter, you know, and we've got to think about let's get people engaged with the content to get in there. So I am interested in how you kind of define engagement and how you kind of use it to, to connect people with those ideas or behaviors. Yeah, it's such an interesting question and, and space to explore because kind of reflecting on uh, on the theme today, I actually realized that my whole career has been in engagement. So I've always been the kind of creative who likes interactivity, you know, even before the internet was a thing and brands were playing, you know, on it in the way that they are today, I was all about, you know, direct marketing. So back then it was about using events and experiences or mail or, you know, back in the day it was email to communicate a message, but ultimately to get a response from their audience. So it's something that I've worked in for the past, say, 15 years or so, but I'm really passionate about it because I do feel like in my industry, like coming up with ideas that don't require a response, which happens a lot, right? Like TV ads are the perfect example of that. That's just a broadcast idea. It's not an interactive idea. I do think that engagement adds a really interesting level to any execution, whether it be in the marketing sphere or whether it be in a classroom. And it's kind of rewarding to know that your message is getting across and people are responding to it, you know, which is, which is I think, why I do it. Yeah, awesome. Because in, in the classroom, like at its core, what, what we always want to do, like there's a learning intention, you know, here's what kind of good looks like, here's the curriculum that we've got to teach. You know, most teachers will probably tell you, it's certainly how I felt anyway, that there was more to teach than time I had. So you had to get good kind of bang for your buck. What we want is the, the right information to kind of stick, you know, so that they can draw upon that information at a different point in their life, not just for the test on Friday or whatever, but for like genuinely learning. So there's a bit of educational literature there at the moment around the power of kind of novelty in retaining information. I still like to this day work out if someone asked me the date, I still work out the number of days in each month by singing the song in my head, you know, 30 days has September. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested in that role of novelty in making things stick, you know, helping us remember. So do you have any strategies or examples of how you use novelty to, to land, you know, that information? I mean, for us, you know, it's less about 
in what I do, it's less about having to have people remember something and more about getting them to respond in the moment. Because, you know, in, if you're in the sort of context of Instagram or Facebook or any number of technologies, then what you're seeing in front of you is going to be gone and probably forgotten in about 15 seconds. So for us, um, novelty is still very important. But the way that we probably deploy it is more around this is something you've not seen before. So it's still very much a novelty because it feels new and interesting, but it doesn't require that you remember it, which I suppose is a little bit, it's sort of the antithesis of what the teachers are trying to do in the classroom. But either way, I think it's about getting, getting the attention and getting the students or whoever your audience is to sit up and take notice. I mean, even if I think about, you know, some of the ideas that caught my attention because they were kind of, it was a new way of um, communicating a message or of um, conveying, you know, what a brand was doing or um, the launch of something. Um, it was always the the newness that caught my attention, but I think it also helped stick in my memory, though I didn't rely on it, if that makes sense. I think, you know, my advice to teachers would be don't rely on the ways that you have taught before. If you want to leverage the power of novelty, I think it's about, you know, coming up with new ways of conveying that information that the students aren't used to hearing because I know that in the space of technology that often works. I think the other thing that is quite powerful in addition to novelty, though, is um, context and relevance. So it's sort of like I'm always really aware of who my audience is and what interests them. I think that's another really interesting point for teachers as well. You know, if you're conveying the story of, I don't know, some historical Egyptian king, it's not really relevant to the students who are sitting in the classroom in 2021. But if you can convey it in a way that maybe makes sense to them, like talking about the characters in this historical story through the lens of like, I don't know, euphoria or whatever TV show is a hit at the time, then maybe they'll actually have an easier time of remembering what it was that transpired 2000 years ago. I I think that's also why Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet was such a huge success, because if you're ever watching a Shakespeare play, it's so hard to understand what the hell's going on. But when it's in a modern context, you can kind of place, okay, I can understand why that was, you know, such a big deal and why this person responded that way, because it's sort of set in a relevant context. So I think, you know, novelty is huge, like always think about a new way of conveying something, but also think about conveying it in a way that feels really relevant to the the students that you're speaking to. Yeah, that's a that's a really good call out. I, I wonder one of the things you mentioned there was kind of getting the information, like actively kind of listening to get that knowledge of, of the audience. So maybe, you know, when I was thinking about novelty, I was thinking about kind of whole class spark, you know, for it. But um, what I'm hearing you say is it's about actively listening and getting the relevance for each person in the audience. Because there may be someone who's, you know, really passionate about, you know, Egyptian pharaohs or the um, Shakespearean version, you know, but to make it more broadly accessible, um, it's about connection for each individual, you know, as as we go. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I, I need to do some reflecting there. <laughs> <laughs> The way that we um we sort of try to get to that one-to-one relationship as well is we look at, we sort of order the um, communications that you might receive on, say, Instagram um, as a choose-your-own-adventure style. So we know whether or not you have clicked on an ad, right? And depending on whether you've clicked on, like we'll, we'll, ne- we'll never just launch one ad. We'll always say launch five versions of it. Depending on which one of that set of five you respond to, 
that will determine the next one and the next one and the next one, which I think is kind of an interesting method to apply to the classroom as well. You might present an idea and then you might say have five different versions of conveying that idea to the students. And maybe they can self-select and go, I want to know more about Egypt through the context of euphoria. And you have a little work group that sort of explains it that way. And then you have another work group that explains it a different way. But I think giving the students to to self-select into those groups would be a really interesting way of doing it too. And at least then you know that they're engaged, right? Like that's the, the engagement piece. They've responded by saying, oh, that sort of interests me. So I'm going to go there. And you know that in that way, that's the feedback that you need. They're kind of gone, yeah, that makes sense in my mind. So they're drawn towards one way or another. Yeah, it it sounds like you're kind of empowering differentiation through managing offered choice in the classroom. Uh, I've got two thoughts. Um, my, My first thought is, yes, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I want everyone to learn to read. You know, we can go through this text or that text, you know, connect the relevance, but focus on whatever it is on fluency. Um, and then uh, I've, I do have another little voice on my shoulder saying, if I was listening to this podcast right now, I would say, do you know how long that would take me to program? <laughs> so, you know, there is always a, a tension between the energy that goes into it. But I think un- unquestionably, the idea of clarity of outcome, managing offered choice, empowering people to take the pathway that it best suits. Yeah. While I do have you here, um, there's a pretty interesting debate in uh, education at the moment in the role of technology and social media in learning. So the debate kind of is set up like this. Uh, Is the internet making us shallow thinkers? So on one hand of the debate, you can easily find the answer to all the questions, you know, with a quick search of your phone in your pocket. So do we need to spend hours and hours memorizing facts that I can just look up? Why don't we just teach the skills to search for the right info? And then on the other side, you know, there's uh, a process of learning that helps your brain develop in a particular way so you can consume and discern the information. So the idea being kind of learn as much as you can and stock your memory full so that you can engage with the technology. You can be pretty decisive or discerning, you know, about what you use. So um, this is a pretty hard question. (laughs) Is the internet making us shallow thinkers? It's so interesting. Um, I've listened to podcasts myself about this very topic and I think it's I think the internet gets a bad rap but I think it it gets that rap because it's within such it, it's such a modern innovation like if we think about every other media sort of technological innovation that's ever happened throughout history the same debate has taken place so you think about the printing press Like back then, people saw it as this amazing way to suddenly disperse the Bible or whatever other relevant information there was back in the day. But the printing press was used for bad too. You know, it it was used in a positive way and a negative way. It really depends on whoever is creating that little pamphlet. Same with television. Like television can be used for good. It can be used for educational purposes or it can be used for bad, like maybe propaganda or reality TV, which I actually love. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an embarrassing admission, but I do love my reality TV. But some people would argue that's trash. You know, and the internet's no different. The internet can be used, like you said, to enrich your mind or it can be used in really shallow ways, potentially even damaging ways. But the media is agnostic, you know. It's, it's not created to be good or evil. It's not created to make us better thinkers or, you know, worse thinkers. It really does depend on the thinker to determine what they're getting out of that media. So if you are a shallow thinker 
then it's going to perpetuate that behavior. But if you are a deep thinker, then the stuff that you're going to be searching for is naturally stuff that will enrich you. So back to the point you made sort of as you were kind of going through that question, I think the biggest thing is about teaching students to be the deep thinkers and be curious, you know, and want to learn and be able to discern between information that is helpful to them and information that's potentially damaging or will create a setback for them. And it's critical thinking, right? Like that's kind of, in my mind, one of the biggest assets that you can find in someone that you're looking to employ, especially in technology, is someone who can be a critical thinker and determine their own path without having to have the answers given to them. So yeah, if teachers can teach students to do that, then amazing. That's a win. That is a great answer. <laughs> so uh, while while you're on a roll there, I'm, I'm going to roll into communication because that's been in the spotlight uh, for us a lot in education, particularly on the back of the pandemic. You know, we've had, um, you know, in different places, you know, the restrictions have been different, but there's been a lot of home learning, um, you know, so teachers kind of using different mediums um, and it's really accelerated, um, I guess, a lot of that technology into the homes and learning. Um you know, for the way teachers and students have had to navigate, um, you know, this pandemic. So uh, I wonder if you have any insights for me on kind of retaining and or even attracting attention in virtual mediums. Like, is there a secret recipe um, we can borrow from Facebook to help keep students engaged when we're sending that work online? Um, I, I think there's definitely a philosophy and that is we all have short attention spans, so keep it snappy. You know, my experience seeing my niece and nephew go through the home learning process during the pandemic has been that the longer they're on screen, the more drained they are, the less engaged they are. Um, and the more they tend to walk away from their school day feeling a little bit deflated. Whereas if it's short and snappy and, you know, little morsels of information coming through, I think that's the most interesting and energizing way of receiving the information. So, um, it's, it has to be such a different approach to what we're used to in classrooms because when you're with someone in the physical space, it's much less demanding of your, uh, much, yeah, much, much less demanding of your attention because, you know, it's a more sensory experience. There's multi-sensory experience and lots of things happening at once. But when you're looking at a screen, it's so two-dimensional that, that I think that's when you really struggle to hold tension. So that would be my advice. Keep it short and snappy and interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, what do they say? Every... Uh, every novelist is a failed short story writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, totally. yeah, look, yeah, I think that's um, it's important for adult learning too, you know, because there's a lot of professional learning happening for teachers at the moment and uh, virtually, you know, that kind of has shifted. And when you lose the nonverbal cues and the human connection and the distractions that you get at home, I think it's really difficult to have anything other than that kind of bite, you know, so it's about, efficiency and effectiveness. I, I really like that. I wonder if you could teach every 10-year-old in the world one lesson, what would you want them to take away from it? What would you want them to learn? It's so funny because I am sort of like tempted to give a techie answer to this, but what my gut really says the world needs is actually kindness and empathy. And, you know, because we have such huge technological advancements happening all day, every day, that's just the nature of the world we're living in. I don't think we need to fuel that momentum. It's already there. But what we do see 
the world needing, like in terms of how we interact with each other online, you know, the nature of mental health, not only in this country, but around the world, I think we would really benefit from a dose of kindness. And so teaching students to be empathetic of, you know, their counterparts, their peers, um, and also act in a kind way, I think would actually like make the technological advancements that are to come from their generation so much more robust, so much more meaningful and have far less pitfalls than the kinds that we see in some of the work out there today. Yeah. Nice. I think that's a pretty nice sentiment. I'm curious though, what was, uh, what was your techie answer? Where would that have taken us? Um, to program, <laughs> Get coding. Um, like I think, you know, when I think about where Facebook is headed, but also the rest of the world, like we are going into an age of immersion. Our world is going to be programmed. It's not just going to be, you know, the stuff we see on screens, on our computers, on our phones. The internet is going to be all around us, which opens up an opportunity for so many more kind of programs and experiences to be created. And so in order to um, build that and do that, we're going to need people to, to understand technology and be able to code it. So one thing that I'm definitely going to be teaching my own daughter, even though she's only five months old, I've already decided this, is to code. And I would suggest that. Yeah. Code kindly is what I'm going to take away. Code kindly. <laughs> I love that. That's such a nice little tidbit. Yeah, love it's, it. That's beautiful. Steph, thanks so much for your time today. Um, as you know, Creatable began, you know, pursuing that equity and girls in STEM and we've evolved, but that still stays really core to our heart. So the fact that you're on and you're talking to us about coding with your daughter into the future is a really fitting uh, kind of way to conclude this. Thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Reflecting on the conversation with Steph, I have a few main takeaways. The first one's engagement is a goal to unlock content. And to change others, we can draw upon relevance and choice. I love the idea of preparing pathways. So at Facebook, uh, Steph spoke about that they take the time to know the audience and prepare pathways for engagement. Uh, for teachers, I know there's a programming challenge and a time challenge there, but the idea of preparing pathways really resonated with me. The second is the, the old adage, technology is a tool in the same way that a pencil is a tool. So Steph used the example of the printing press in a response to shallow thinkers in the internet. I think the point remains that she made, which is really relevant, it's how you use it that matters. I think reflecting on how we prepare the next generation to use tech well is a pretty challenging but worthy one. And it's probably best surmised by the way Steph uh, concluded with her tagline, code kindly. Thanks for listening to Dot to Dot. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't, what you'd like more of, or what you learned. Reviews help us reach more listeners so that we can keep bringing you awesome conversations about what you want to hear about. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up to date with each episode as they come out. Dot to Dot is a creatable podcast hosted by me, Ryder Tracy, and produced by Sophie Ellis. This episode was recorded on Darawal and Darug country. Catch you next week.